On the resurrection morning when all the dead in Christ shall rise I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Raised in power, ready to live in paradise. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With the redeemed, I'll understand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my Savior, ready to live in glory. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Youthful and happy I shall be I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Glorified with Him forever Death will be lost in victory I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed Never stand no more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my Savior, ready to live. I'll be glad. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life, eternal life. One hallelujah morning when the last trump of God shall sound. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life, eternal grace, all bursting saints are shouting heavenly beauty all around. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life, oh yes, I'll have a new home, glory, glory, with a reading of Dr. Stan. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my Savior, ready to live. I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Welcome to the Passion for Christ show. So glad to have you, friends. Hey, I just want to let you know that I am part of the greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, because you see in him I found forgiveness, joy, happiness, peace. And I am blessed beyond measure more than I could ever deserve, folks. My goal here is very simple, though, and that is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment, we're going to be answering the question, are we part of the nine? Are we part of the nine? But first, before we get to that study segment, we got a few things along the way. The first is headline news. Hey, get this. Get this, folks. The most generous churchgoers in the United States live in the middle of Idaho. Did you know that, folks? That's right. The most generous churchgoers in the United States live in the middle of Idaho, 
While the second most generous church members reside in two small towns in eastern Iowa, according to a new Barna report. It's showing data that uh, show where the most generous practicing Christians live in the U.S., both in annual church giving and annual nonprofit giving. So they found uh, uh, some uh, towns and churches in Idaho. And in Iowa, folks, that's right, that's right. Uh, let's see, the top five the church giving is found in Idaho. The second is Iowa. The third is in Victoria, Texas. The fourth is Jonesboro, Arkansas. And number five is, you won't believe it, but it's Las Vegas, Nevada. That's right, folks. Top five in church giving in America. And uh, isn't that stunning? Nonprofit giving is uh, Idaho, number one. And number two is Las Vegas. Number three is Victoria, Texas. Number four is Iowa, and number five is Jonesboro, Arkansas. So there you go, folks. America's most generous Christians live in Idaho, Iowa. A new Bonner report reveals. Well, folks, this suggests that we need to start giving a little bit more, folks. I think God expects it anyway no matter where you live. So give from your heart. And I think that's really all that matters. In the end, give as you have prospered. Now get this. This is stunning, folks. Stunning indeed. Three Baltimore men have had their murder convictions overturned after spending some 30 years behind bars. Imagine that, folks, spending 30 years behind bars for something that you never committed. Alfred Chestnut, Ransom Watkins, and Andrew Stewart were all released from prison after receiving a apology from the circuit court judge Charles Peters on Monday. And, um, wow, folks. Watkins said that on the inside, I hate to put it like this, but we went through hell. This is the day that the Lord has made. He has set the captives free. My journey is just completed and beginning. His sister, Dolly Boyd, said that she'd been pleading with God to let justice prevail and for her brother to be freed. I just prayed to the Lord every day to bring my brother home. That's all I ever wanted chestnut one of the uh, other guys that was released said that there's a lot of guys that i left behind that are in the same situation that i'm in they need a voice i had an opportunity by the grace of god to have someone who heard me the state's attorney for baltimore marilyn mosby who was involved in their acquittal, said that exoneration should not be celebrated as a victory. It's a tragedy. We need to own up to our responsibility for it. There's no way we can repair damage to these men. 36 years of their life were stolen from them. Indeed, folks. What a heart 
rendering story this is in a whole host of ways. Three men acquitted of murder they did not commit after spending 36 years in prison. Folks, madness, complete madness. Now get this, get this. Texas Governor Greg Abbott in recent days gave a peek into his Christian faith and his theology asserting on social media that God used for good an accident that placed him in a wheelchair. He is 62 years old, paralyzed below the waist since 1984 when an oak tree of all things fell on him while he was jogging. He was elected governor in 2014 and he had posted on Twitter a video of a muscular wheelchair-bound man making his way up a climbing wall using only his hands. And he said, and he wrote, never quit, never give up, overcome any challenge. That's what uh, he had posted on um, Twitter. And then, of course, you always have people who will respond to that. And one did, and it says, so great to see, but if I ever end up in a wheelchair, I'm just ending it. To which Abbott tweeted, that's what I thought before I ended up in a wheelchair. I've done more after the accident that left me paralyzed than before. With God, all things are possible. Amen, folks? And then another exchange from one of the followers, and he said that... Um, God was the one responsible for putting Abbott in the wheelchair, to which he replied, the governor replied, God didn't cause the accident that left me paralyzed, but he did help me persevere over that enormous challenge. I'm a testament that the glory of God is revealed by a young man's back being broken in half and still rising up to be governor of Texas with God. All things are possible that comment was met by another pushback funny one twitter responded how people always find a way to praise god for the good things in their life but find every possible excuse to absolve him of the bad things omnipotence goes both ways greg to which the governor responded to that too the purpose of life is to build a relationship with God. Just like in any relationship, both good and bad things happen. The thing about a relationship with God is that bad events bring us closer to Him. God's limitless love helps us rise above life's challenge. There you go, folks. Texas governor says, glory of God was revealed through his pain and perilous. There you go, folks. There you go how great God is in every circumstance. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. And that's our headline news for this broadcast. And now, this day in church history. In 722, on this day, 
Boniface is consecrated a bishop by Pope Gregory II for the work he will do as a missionary to the Germans. In 1215, the Fourth Lateran Council ends with its third session. At this particular council, official use was first made of the term transubstantiation with reference to the Eucharist. In 1554, on this day, Cardinal Pole announces England's reconciliation with the Pope. And finally, on this day in church history, death of F.J.A. Hort, Bible scholar who had worked with B.F. Westcott on a critical edition of the Greek New Testament, the foundation for almost all modern English translations, of the New Testament. And that's this day in church history. And now we have named that Bible character. That's right, folks. Fun times, fun times. Here is your clue. Are you ready? Here it is. I said, this fellow cast out devils by Beelzebub. Who am I? Here is your clue one more time. It's a who said it clue. I said, this fellow casts out devils by Beelzebub. Who am I? We will reveal the final answer to this clue after the study segment. So stay tuned, friend, for that exciting reveal in our final segment of Name That Bible Character. And now we have our study for this broadcast. Are you, are we, part of the nine? You know, last weekend we were talking a little bit about thankfulness. Thankfulness. That's a godly characteristic. It's, a, it's essential that we have this attitude of thankfulness. Because it's a, it's a recognition of who God is and what he continues to do for us. It's part of practical Christian maturity. It, it's not just about sentiment. It's not just about recognition of what God has given or celebrating the way that he has fixed a particular problem in my life. All those, all, those things are important to praise God for. But it's also a recognition of the truth about who God is. That he is good. That he does love me. And that he keeps on caring for me in spite of my stubbornness. It's that overwhelming sense of awe at the grace of God. The mercy of God. The complete goodness and patience 
of God. So we want to go to our study text for this broadcast. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. That's right, folks. Get you a cup of coffee. I have mine in my hand right here. We'll all get ready to study the Word of God together about thankfulness. Are you, friend, part of the nine? We'll pick up here in verse 11 in just a moment, but let's say a little prayer before we get into our study. Let's pray together, friend. Oh, Lord, please be with us. Let us have humbled hearts as we discuss and as we read your word. Let it have an impact on our lives that we may grow closer to you and understand what thankfulness really means in our lives and how it changes us. In Jesus' holy, righteous name I pray. Amen. So let's go to Luke chapter 17, friend, and we'll start reading in verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11, say glory, hallelujah with me, friend, glory, hallelujah. Let's begin reading in verse 11 of Luke 17. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. I find that, that very telling that here is Jesus coming through again uh, with Samaritans. Here is an opportunity for Jesus to once again shed grace on Samaritans. You remember that Jesus had passed through Samaria with his disciples in John chapter 4 and gave the gospel to them through the encounter with the woman at the well. You remember that? A signal of willingness to encounter those who were on Judaism's largely rejected fringes. Both the woman and the village responded with spiritual hunger. And sometimes later in his preaching ministry, he spoke well of some in his preaching about the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. So here we are in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. In verse 12, it says this, And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So here were leprous men, men uh, uh, who lived apart from others in constant misery and in constant rejection. They were, uh, if you remember the Torah law, restricted them from daily interactions with their family and friends. In fact, in Leviticus 13, verse 46, the person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled. They were to look the part so no one would be able to mistake them of who they really were. Are. They were not normal people. And add to that, they had that painful memory. Live a life apart from others. Perhaps even believing that God had rejected them. That physical agony compared, accompanied 
by mental anguish. We'll pick up reading again. Notice what Jesus and how he responded. In verse 14 it says, And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. The power of Jesus Christ. Just in his words. Just by telling them to go. He heard their cry. Jesus is able to save. Amen. Now, Jesus could have simply waved a hand and said, Be healed, be healed. It's over. You're disease. You, you've been made whole. Yet he chose to give them an opportunity to remove that mantle of victimization that they had wore over their broken bodies all their lives. He told them, however, to turn and find their priest and show the priest their cleansing, even before it happened. Isn't it interesting? And I want you to note this. And only in obedience as they went did they get their healing. They were to take a step of obedience before they saw the results of obedience. The fruit of obedience. And that's God's way, is it not? When we are only willing to obey, when we can see the end, that is not trust, that's not real faith. God will hear you, but he expects you to walk in his word before you see the benefit sometimes. He wants you to be faithful in your marriage when times are rough and times are tough. And he will bless you later for that commitment. There comes a time in almost everyone's life when they will cry out for the tender mercy of our Lord. And that is what's going on around this story that we're reading. In verse 14 again it says, And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Verse 15, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, but he was a Samaritan. Emphasis on he was a Samaritan. Isn't that awesome? That one. The one uh, the Jews who looked upon with disgust needed healing. And here's the heart of a broken, a broken man. Excited about being healed, about being well. He understood something about God that was new. Something had uh, been profound through this healing process. It says here that uh, he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, falling on his face at his feet, giving thanks for something that this man understood even went well beyond the fact that he was healed of this disease. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 17. In verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? 
Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Where are the nine? Where are you, friend, in your thankfulness to God? Were you not made whole by the righteousness and, and love and mercy of God? Where is your thankfulness? Where is your honor? Where is your respect? Where is your praise for God? Even in tough times, even when times are horrible and moments of despair may come into your life. We have a Savior who loved us even when we didn't deserve it. Sacrifice His love so that we could be made whole. The great physician. Where are you? Are you part of the nine who just continued down the road, merrily going, oh, I've been healed. Oh, glory, hallelujah. My sins are forgiven. Oh, glory, hallelujah. I've been made to set free. Hallelujah, amen. And then you just live your own life. Carefree. Let's read the final verse in verse 19. And he said to him, to the Samaritan, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Wait a minute, friend. Was he not already healed of the leprosy? Right? What is he talking about? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. Again, there's a distinction between healing and wholeness. Healing refers to that deliverance from physical ailments. Wholeness signifies a change on a far deeper level, a transformation of the inner man on a spiritual level. The great benefit of that man's leprosy was that it broke him. And when the Savior came by, he was fully prepared to acknowledge his need, extended his life to Jesus, and Jesus met him on the road and met his need, not only physically, but most important, spiritually. All because of this man's recognition An attitude of thankfulness. Isn't that powerful folks? Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Why? Why was that statement uttered? Because. He came back. Glorifying God. With a loud voice. Humbling himself. And giving thanks. To him. That's the power. Of thankfulness. Are you part. Of the nine. Who just went on its way. And took it for granted. The gift of God. The gift of Jesus. Are you. Like this Samaritan. Who humbled himself. Giving thanks to God. Understanding his life is totally in the hands of the man who calmed the sea.
And that's our study for this broadcast. And now we have Name That Bible Character. Here was your clue. It was a who said it clue. I said this fellow cast out demons by Beelzebub. Who am I? The answer is Pharisees. Matthew 12 verse 27. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. I said this fellow cast out demons by Beelzebub. Who am I? Pharisees. And name that Bible character. Well, folks, you too can become a follower of Jesus Christ, finding him forgiveness, joy, happiness, peace. Be blessed beyond measure more than you ever deserve. Just give your life over to him. Submit yourself in repentance, confession, and baptism. My goal here has been very simple. That is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. If you ever come through Norman, Oklahoma, stop by and visit with us at the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ. We'd love to see you. But if you can't stop by, stop by our website, normanchurch.com. 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 Well, friend, I want to tell you this. Thank you for listening to this broadcast. May God bless you. It came upon a midnight clear that glory.